driving today, I made the mistake of having the radio on, <laughs> and ad breaks right now are just some of the most amazingly bad and most tasteless and out-of-touch yeah, tone-deaf things you could oh, possibly yeah. listen to. I saw a great tweet that was like, <laughs> remember when ads used to be like, buy a Toyota, and now they're like... Yeah, crazy times, everybody. All right, bye, Toyota. <laughs> no, oh, my God. All right, so I'm so glad you mentioned the car thing because that's literally one of the spots that I was going to get into was, like, I was driving here and, well, first of all, I don't know what upsets me more. Companies that are, like, acknowledging what's going on and then trying to turn it around and take advantage of it or companies that are just straight up ignoring it because, like, I'm sure most of us probably have, like, a bunk-ass, like, email address that we give out to, like, when we have to sign up or, like, order something online or when you're in a retail store and you don't feel like being awkward with the poor teenager stuck behind the counter. I had yeah. one, but it belongs to somebody <laughs> from Saudi Arabia, I think now. <laughs> and the, the two examples of that I can come up with are Kohl's, who's just keeps emailing me every day like nothing is wrong. And they're just like, we got a sale on socks. Like, eh? <laughs> and then GameStop, who's just desperately trying to do whatever they can to, like, appeal to you. Like, <laughs> they're literally like, we got curbside to go or whatever it's called for you. Like, we made that decision for you guys. <laughs> like, not because, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like... For the gamers, you yeah. know. But anyway, to go back to it, you mentioned the Twitter thing. I'm driving here and I hear an ad on the radio that is had to be recorded recently <laughs> telling you to like, we got sales on cars right now. So like, come buy a car. And it's like, first of all, that's one thing you cannot do online. Online, Like you have to be in person to do that. Yeah. Uh, that's not true. Have you ever seen the Carvana car vending machines in this horrible capital <laughs> future we live in? Because uh, you right. can't just buy a car I, online. I guess that's true. But also no one's driving right now. So sorry, I'm getting so like flustered about it because I don't even know where to start with how inappropriate like I'm laughing at myself in my car because it's like what a time I mean, like, you just said no one's driving but you were in your car so yeah you know Maybe I should get they're, a they're appeal, Toyota. They're appealing to people in their cars. <laughs> it is on car radio. Like, I assume the majority of people that are still listening to AM, FM for whatever reason are on the road. Mm -hmm. Like, you're not doing that at home. There's either right? boomers or people who are nostalgic for horrible <laughs> classic rock. Yeah, so it's like they have to be losing their minds. You just said minds. the same thing twice. <laughs> Trying to get people to still tune in, but those fucking breaks in between are just amazing. Like... <laughs> I mean, I everybody heard my it. fucking mid-episode rant about Tinder. Yes. Yeah. Every dating, day. <laughs> dating apps are another one. Every fucking day, Tinder, Bumble, OkCupid. Just because you're locked in your house doesn't mean you can't meet people. Uh, that's kind of exactly what it means. <laughs> that is that's actually exactly what that means. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Are we ready? Yeah. <laughs> Do thing, Randall. All right, so... What do you uh, got for me? <laughs> so we are back with our series on Volve. Am I pronouncing that right? Volva. Yes. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, bad joke. Cut it so, out. No, leave it in. I'm, of course, kidding. Last time, we discussed the birth of one of gaming's 
biggest industry giants, along with the development of their first star project and revolutionary first-person sci-fi shooter, Half-Life. It's time to see today where our story and Gabe's story continues on to. This is Hot Button. I'm Randall Beatrice, here with Austin Blakesley yep. and Chris Anantuano. Yeah, it's me, talking <laughs> the whole time again. I don't know why I said that like a question, but uh, Chris, would you enlighten us on what happens next now that our team of nerds are rightfully on the map? <laughs> no. Actually, and that's our episode today. <laughs> uh, yeah, we got a website. No, I do want to say before you start, we watched The Mist. Yes, yeah, we in did. In between the recording of part one and the recording of part two, and holy shit, I'd never seen that movie. That is half life. Oh, really? It's so half life. Yeah, yeah, the Lovecraftian yeah. designs of all those monsters yeah. could be straight out of that game. It's yep. fucking great. Absolutely. <laughs> it's a great end where everything's good too, right? It's yeah. a nice wraps up a nice happy ending. Everybody, yeah, just like everybody, look up epicbrainfreeze.ytmnd.com. I knew you were going to mention that. <laughs> it's the best. That was your only frame of reference for that movie for over 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> Don't look it up if you haven't seen The Mist. It does spoil the ending. <laughs> uh, long live, YTMND. <laughs> <laughs> so, where we last left off, the newly incorporated Valve Corporation now was coming hot off their right. Smash... Previously LLC or whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> coming off their Smash debut game, Half-Life. <laughs> and uh, they were going straight into another soon-to-be titan, Counter-Strike. Once again, I cannot recommend enough. Go watch that no-clip documentary on Half-Life. It yes. talks a lot about Counter-Strike in the modding community. It's edited really well. Yeah. He's fucking amazing. And if you want to relive Half-Life, check out Black Mesa. I've come a click away from buying that the last, like, yeah. since we recorded. If you'd uh, rather hear about Half-Life in a second... Sexy Irish accent instead of a bunch of shitty South Jersey accents. <laughs> <laughs> I'd recommend the documentary. So, what was next for Valve? Well, in 2002 at GDC, they announced and released a beta for their new thing? Question mark at the time. Okay. Called Steam. So hmm. never heard. Oh, yeah, like Valve. Steam Valve comes Steam. from yes. Valves. Yeah. I did, yes. made that joke last yes. time. Yes. There's your, uh, yeah, there's your part two version of the joke. <laughs> I think there was Shadow Box or something was one of the suggestions or something. I don't remember. There were a couple names for Steam that like obviously didn't pan they, out. They do like the, using the name Box in their products. So yeah. <laughs> so here's the deal. The Counter Strike team. Say was always evolving the game, Counter-Strike. They were always changing maps and updating weapons and things like that. Yeah. And Valve was having issues keeping up with that because in this time in history, you really couldn't update a game too well on the fly like that without completely disturbing your fan base. The <laughs> updates would often see the entire game down for days at a time, yeah. which is not good <laughs> when you have to update as much as Counter-Strike does. No. And that's a joke <laughs> to the fact that Counter-Strike updates every four minutes on my Steam to this day in 2020. <laughs> yeah, Throttle that internet whenever you're not using it. Yeah. <laughs> so they decided to create a platform that would automatically apply patches to all of their games, as well as provide some better anti-piracy and anti-cheat protection. Makes total I sense. I mentioned to you guys about the broadband thing in the Maxis episode. At this point in history, I guess this is early 2000s, not everybody had broadband. In fact, it's very true. barely 30% or something of the entire population did. I so they did, because like, my mom ran a business. Well, yeah, <laughs> they were lucky. like, what do you mean you're going to give an auto-update service? Who's going to fucking use it? But yeah. here's the thing. Apparently... 80% of people who played Half-Life and Counter-Strike had broadband, which wow. makes sense. Like, 
once again, gamers on the fucking cutting edge. Like, obviously, yeah. they were like, we need fucking this. Yeah. We're going to keep doing this. <laughs> it's insane to think how common it is nowadays that it wasn't that common. I want to point out something which is very funny. Obviously, a lot more people these days are working from home, including me. Not me. And it is insane how... And both unemployed me and Randall also <laughs> working from home. <laughs> Yeah, it is insane how much more prepared gaming makes you for that kind of like how at the forefront of technology you have to be just to be involved in yes. games. Yeah, like Absolutely. it's like you're t- you're sitting there and it's like I have a pretty great internet connection because I have to because games require it. Right. Yeah. And I have a very comfortable chair. I have a nice mic setup with a really good headset that I'm using right now, and I have like a crazy fast computer. And meanwhile, everyone else I work with <laughs> is just like you're in a video call with them, and their cameras look like they're from like 1995. They're Everything's on a laptop on the floor. Yeah. They're dropping out of calls constantly. One person's like, "All I could find in my house to sit on was a stool. It doesn't have a back." And I'm just like sitting there in my fucking <laughs> racing gaming chair with like a pillow on the head. And I'm just like, "Yeah, that sucks, dude." Yeah, when, yeah, I worked sucks. At, when I worked at the bar, it was very interesting to meet people younger than me who never even. Owned Owned a like. Is this a story about how working at a bar prepared you for your alcoholism during the quarantine? (laughs) (laughs) No, living in his house prepared him for that. (laughs) A lot of kids going through college and stuff like that, it's just a laptop and a phone or a tablet. Like, what reason do they really have? to purchase the kind of no, computers that we true. all own. Gamers are yeah. very on top of that. Yeah, you gotta play Counter-Strike 4, a.k.a. Valorant. <laughs> Word <laughs> processing is the ma- and emails, like all the majority, probably a lot of people need. So you could basically purchase and install any of their games faster than if you installed it from a CD, um, which is still insane. I love just the good old CD installation days. We talked about that a lot last week as Hell well, yeah. which is cool and pretty much eliminates all physical media from the PC gaming world, <laughs> which obviously eventually absolutely happened. Was it the last episode we joked about whether or not our computers all had, even had disk drives? Yeah, that yes, was that was, was about part one. Yeah, where I was talking and then about, I believe I sent you both a picture of my disc drive yeah. afterwards. Yeah. I was talking about the last game I bought on PC that had disc was The Division, and like yeah. I went and looked, and it was five discs. Oh my god, five DVDs. I think uh, GTA Five on PC physical was the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, not everybody has the internet That's to download a hundred something games. Yeah. So you could also log into Steam and you could access any of those games you had purchased. Plus, you had the hassle free patching and updating I mentioned earlier. So I have written down here, and before I sent it to you guys before the episode, did you get the picture of the Steam interface from 2002? Yes. Oh, my oh God. I remember that. Nostalgia. Bomb. Holy shit, that green. <laughs> yes. It's so nostalgic, that old interface, that old fucking setup and that color. And like, I don't know. Just like, it's funny it was really it's, just like a time machine. It's in so my head. beautiful and so funny. Fucking ugly. <laughs> it is. Time. It's horrible. I have an yeah. interesting story about this, which was my first PC game. Well, I had Diablo and I had StarCraft, but I you got like Sims I got a computer that was like able to play more modern games. And I say more modern, I mean like in the last five years. My parents got one when I was a kid. And I the games I bought were Warcraft three, and I also went to the store chest. and I found the Half-Life 1 value pack or whatever it was called. It was Half-Life 1 opposing force. Yeah, it comes force, with all of the blue yeah, shift, force, blue Half-Life shift, Deathmatch, yeah. Team Fortress 1, Ricochet. Wow. 
Day of Defeat one and Counter Strike. <laughs> it was all of them in one. Oh, that's and rad. I bought it used at Electronics Boutique <laughs> for five ninety nine or something like that. Yeah. Best deal ever, obviously. They all worked? Like I still like I did not understand how C D keys worked at that point. Yeah. And I just they're like, put the code in that's on the little sleeve and then it'll work. And it did. And it wasn't until a decade later that I was like, wait a minute, I bought that used. How the <laughs> fuck did those work? <laughs> how did that work? Yeah. yeah and I exactly. still to wow. this day have no idea how that worked. Yeah, somebody must have bought it and didn't I know it's just anything. wild. And uh, it, it it was on Steam too, so it's not it, it was checking the yeah, internet. It wasn't yeah. like Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like it's just I'm not, I'm not exactly sure. Yeah. You got fucking they, lucky. Yeah. I think about that all the time. I actually purchased Condition Zero by walking around my local mall and asking nine people or <laughs> ten people for a dollar, and then I bought Condition Zero at the electronic boutique at my oh, mall man. that night. Wasn't Condition Zero on Xbox? That might have been how I played it initially. Uh, the people that made so. Condition Zero made the Xbox version of Counter-Strike. I think it might yeah. have had the so content like, from that in there. Yeah, it but, has okay. content from that in there, yeah. <laughs> yes. It was tur- Turtle Rock. Yeah, yeah Turtle Rock. It was Turtle Rock. Sense, That's yeah. what I was going to say. That was part of before they were like, hey, go make your own game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. makers of Left 4 Dead. And Evolve. And Evolve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we forget about that last one. <laughs> so, in September of 2003, Steam officially launched, and its servers crushed under all the weight of all those users <laughs> trying to access no it. Shit, As is dude. tradition. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and this won't be the last time, of course. Yeah. No. Early Steam didn't really have much of a use, honestly, considering it was an optional service. Can you imagine doing Steam was optional? I can't even. But that first step towards changing that optional service happened in 2004. And no, it's not what you think, which we'll get into in a minute, Mm -hmm. but it was the fact that Counter-Strike and Half-Life's online multiplayer services have been operating through something called the WON, or World Opponent Network. Hmm. So this was Sierra Games' online gaming system. Basically, Sierra Games had a system that kind of housed, you know, all, like, their multiplayer servers and all that stuff. They hosted a number of games, a lot of, like, random fucking poker kind of all that shovelware yeah. shit they put out for yeah, our history. Yeah. But mostly it was just Counter-Strike and Half-Life Deathmatch, you know? Like, <laughs> that was almost 100% of what they had. But in July of 2004, Valve, which had purchased WON way back in 2001, they had been toying around with it a little bit, editing it, and they shut down one. And they moved everything, including its online service of their games, over to Steam. So... Basically, they kind of just yanked all the servers from the WN and put them under Steam. And this pissed a lot of people off, actually, (laughs) because on Steam, you had to play the most recent version of the game, CS 1.6. But a lot of people out there were really enjoying playing all their custom Half-Life servers and hosting older versions of Counter-Strike. Like, a lot of people were still into how this gun functioned in 1.5, so there were servers for that. Or, hey, this is my Half-Life server where we have this cool mod running. It's funny you mention that, because Counter-Strike fans are still campaigning, like, 1.6 as being the the Smash Brothers melee of... (laughs) Absolutely, (laughs) which is funny because at this point 1.5 was the f the one yeah, everyone liked that's pretty good yeah now we're like four counter strikes past 1.6 yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> so this is actually a fun little sidebar about won apparently after their shutdown a group of people 
coded a new program from scratch called WON2. And they used the original server browser from the first one containing of all those old Half-Life and CS mods and outdated mm-hmm. versions. And they also had a steamless version of CS 1.6. Oh, that's weird. Apparently, from 2005 to 2010, there were sometimes up to 10,000 people using 1.2. Holy shit. There's that many purists out there? <laughs> like, yeah. It yeah. is noted as the largest unofficial multiplayer gaming network in the world. And that's never been topped. Huh. Apparently, <laughs> as recent as December 2017, 1-2 was still up, hosting hundreds of people playing CS 1.5. <laughs> Mostly in China, but fucking, it's yeah. just incredible. I just picture, like, a group of, like, 200 Chinese gamers just, like, still super into 1.5. <laughs> like, just loving, like, that community. I just, like, yeah. that's just, I love that And then going online and microcosm. talking shit on CSGO, like... <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, what happened to Steam from there? Well, as we all know, they made a couple of bad controllers, and now they're irrelevant. <laughs> so, later, idiots, we're going to play the cycle on the Epic Store. <laughs> Faded into obscurity. I can't, obviously. In the early 2000s, they began adding third-party developers to their platform. And then, by 2019, they had 34,000 games, 100 million users, and more than $3.4 billion in sales. That's 20% of all PC gaming sales. And as for that digital distribution market, if you want to talk about monopolies, in 2013, Steam controlled 75% of the digital distribution market. Jesus. I know. That's just on PC, right? Yes. Okay. I mean, they published a little on consoles, but... Yeah. yeah. I looked around to see if I could find a current number, because I'm very curious how much that changed since Epic yeah. kind of started the, the, tipping I'd, away a I'd little bit I'd be very curious to know. A lot of people Me feel too. threatened right find. now. <laughs> I, I couldn't doubt it's find that anything. much lower. I don't think Steam so. I really don't think. Uh, with the rise Absolutely. of mobile, though, it's possible. Mobile definitely. Like, well, uh, that's why uh, I asked we're talking strictly PC. PC. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. Sorry. Yeah. So there's a lot more with Steam, like the machine, obviously, and that aforementioned monopoly and a strange <laughs> relationship with independent developers. But we'll get more into that later. For now, let's get into Valve's next game and the <gasps> true kind of main story of this episode. <laughs> so, what would they do now? They had mastered the first-person shooter story-driven gameplay. They had emboldened the modding community and ushered in a new era of PvP gaming that would soon explode into the competitive gaming revolution. What was next? Surely it was time to lay back and dump out some Sierra shovelware and make a quick buck, right? God damn it. Or would they once again revolutionize gaming in both narrative and technological forefront in a massively expensive, time-consuming endeavor that would span half a decade, countless hours, Millions of dollars, the FBI, and beyond. (laughs) Hold up, what? (laughs) So, in 1999, just months after the first Half-Life was released, this team was already looking forward to the sequel. I think I mentioned that at the end of our Half-Life 1 episode. The very early stages of the game, putting it together had begun, and the word from Newell seemed to be that there would be no financial or creative barriers for the title whatsoever. Hmm. I mean, the game did end on a cliffhanger, to be fair. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that's cut you off, but like, it <laughs> no, makes no, sense no, why they were that, still looking true. forward. Yeah. Quote, the only pressure we would have is to build a worthy sequel to Half-Life. End quote. 
All right. So that's it. Yeah. So there are a lot of ideas being tossed around, including a buddy cop kind of game with you and Barney, the security <laughs> guard, for the first oh, one. Oh, I've heard about Which, that. Uh, I am so curious if that was actually the idea. Like how far that shift, got? Yeah. Actually. Yeah, it, like, might, it might be. Yeah. And apparently there's another one where Gordon would bounce around to planets. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit later. <laughs> so... Through all of these ideas came two clear concepts, and they kind of mirrored a little bit and expanded on a little bit of the points of Half-Life 1. A. They wanted the game to have realistic and emotionally dynamic characters that the player would be able to have a connection with. And apparently this grew from the fact that people showed so much love to the NPCs in the first game. (laughs) And really, in the first game, they were supposed to be kind of just unique exposition dump and game progression Yeah, I mean, visually, they looked like all the other characters, too. But we were still attached. But people connected to them. And I'm telling you, I got upset like every time a security guard or a scientist died on my watch. Like, you fucking... God damn it. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. That was just absolutely crucial. B, they wanted to really push the boundaries on the environments and the player's impact on them. As you know from Half-Life 1, this is kind of the defining feature of that game. The behavior of the objects in the world and the player's ability to interact with them and the level of that kind of experience is just incredibly unique. Like, there's just nothing yeah. else like that, especially in this time. For sure. In the second game, they were going to push this concept to its absolute limits. And boy, did they fucking ever, yeah. Yeah. They were going to use advanced AI, better character models with realistic expression, and they were going to use the magic word physics, which is going to become the big part of this game and a lot of things about it. What was the... uh, It was Havoc... Was that with the... Havoc. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, Havoc physics yes. engine. And this is one of Havoc's earlier things, yeah, too. Yep. Yeah. Like, anybody in here would recognize that Havoc symbol launching a multitude oh, God, of titles. Oh, it was on so many boxes, history. like, yeah, through yeah. that generation, for sure. So, they had tossed around the idea of following the first game's footsteps and licensing the new Quake 3 engine, and they looked into a couple others as well, but of course, this wasn't going to come easy. At the time, there existed no gaming engine that was capable of integrating all these ideas into one game. Yeah. So, what did true. Valve do as the next logical step? We'll do it Let's ourselves. Just <laughs> make a new engine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they took the, in the future, Kojima takes the Steam method. <laughs> oh, I can't have this one? Just make a new one. Yeah, fuck you guys. Before moving okay. forward, though, Valve would have to leave something behind. And this was kind of a big something. In the first episode, we discussed the man responsible for coding most of the original Half-Life and yes, the co-founder yeah. of Valve, Mike Harrington. As I mentioned last time, I don't think most people would recognize that name in relation to Valve products, which is a shame because he's such an integral part, yeah. but there's a reason for that. Before the production of Half-Life 2 began, Harrington was on the fence about what to do with his future. Right. See, him and his wife, Monica Harrington, who was also Valve's marketing director, they had a dream to build a boat and sail around the world. <laughs> Fucking millionaires. Oh my god, I, right? like, I, I think I mentioned on the previous episode that I remember him kind of bouncing out of there like relatively early in the grand scheme of things. I did not know that that was the reason why. Yeah, so okay. in January of 2000, the idea of hopping into another game right after Half-Life 1 and dedicating three more years of crunch that that wasn't really something he wanted to do at this point in his life. Him and his wife had already planned to take an extended vacation after Half-Life because it 
remember, even in part one, we talked about he was writing code right up to the end. You sure, know? yeah. So you really can't blame the guy for wanting to, you know, take a vacation after all he'd been through. <laughs> oh, yeah, vacation around the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So after over a decade together in a true 50-50 partnership, Mike Harrington stepped down from Valve in 2000 and gave it all to Gabe Newell. Man, 2000, that was early. Yeah. yeah. Quote, it was really sad that first day after I left Valve. Something that was so intense, so powerful, and so engaging was completely gone from my life. Jeez. I mean, he wasn't fired like he decided. <laughs> no, he did decide. Yeah. And that's probably what makes it a little bit more of an emotional impact. Sure. You know, like, okay. he decided to step away from this. It was a sad day for Newell as well. He lost his close friend and partner of many years, and this was someone he felt he could always go to for anything. We often think of Gabe in the future as like this solo kind of head, but like for years he was just he had a partner in absolutely everything. Yeah. So. Harrington did go out on top though, so that's pretty cool. And along with his wife, they built a seventy seven foot boat and sailed around the world. <laughs> Yeah, he eventually started another company called Picnic with another old colleague, which got bought by Google in 2010, so he did pretty well Jeez, there. Jeez, okay. Yeah. He worked for a non-profit organization focusing on the safety of children for a while, which is pretty cool. All right. But now he's currently the CTO of Amplion, which is a company that does a bunch of stuff with biomedical business. Apparently, they build like a program that kind of searches through all the lists of research papers and trials and kind of picks out the information that might relate to your case or whatever, which is pretty cool, mm -hmm. considering there's like so many trials and so much information out there. This is pretty cool. I probably read way too much about it when I was researching this. No, no I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting, yeah. So the rest of the team pushed forward with Half-Life 2, and there was quite a bit of work to do. And the early days of the production were filled with what most games early production is filled with. Designing and testing the new tech that would be implemented in the game. Designing art, story, and assets, and all that good shit. Mm -hmm. So, we'll start with Valve's resident genius, Ken Birdwell. Who, if you'll remember from part one, was that essential figure who designed the skeletal system. That allowed all <laughs> the NPCs and the baddies to talk and move and have all that realistic stuff. Animated skeletal system. <laughs> Ken's next task was to help with that first point we previously discussed. Having more realistic and emotionally dynamic characters. And he was on the bleeding edge of technology at this point. Period. Not just in video games, but... At CGI and, Just and movies general, and everything. Yeah. yeah. Jeez. So here's what Ken did, which is the fucking boss. I just, like, picture him as this guy who's, like, very pragmatic about how to go about this, but, like, in a cool, creative way. Like, he basically studied the work of this guy named Dr. Paul Ekman, who was a psychologist who wrote a bunch of books in the 70s about which facial muscles work together to create human expressions. Holy shit. And then he used the help of an NYU computer graphics professor named Dr. Ken Perlin and then Birdwell worked on kind of translating all this work into a computer and animation format. So he kind of like took all this information and kind of wrote these programs that was like, what's the easiest way to show like the baseline? Like, oh, if somebody's smiling, what makes smiling unique? Let's program that. What makes frowning Damn. unique? Let's program that. That's and wild. That a lot of good names in that in that whole <laughs> yeah. paragraph. Paul there. Ekman, Ken Perlin. <laughs> Birdwell. Oh, I have my favorite. Good old Birdwell. Old oh, Birdwell. Yeah, Ken Birdwell. <laughs> Ken Burwell kind of looks like like a redhead Louis C.K. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> just way less of a yeah, less of yes, perfect. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ken's a fucking genius and worth looking into. He actually 
did these two gigantic technical interviews on Gama Sutra, Gama Sutra, or however you want to pronounce it. That I think I, I said, used to I think I said Gama Sutra. It's, I thought it was Gama Sutra, like Kama Sutra, but it is apparently Gama Sutra. <laughs> yeah. He's really fucking smart, and he's really good at conveying the information in like a very practical way that people can get. Like he's a pretty fucking cool dude, and an absolute worthy of his genius title. So while he was working on all that. The others were tackling the physics and the engine mechanics, and then the rest of the team was focused on gameplay and story. So, to return from our first game, Half-Life 1 writer Mark Laidlaw was coming back on again. And he was interested in pushing the boundaries himself. He was, like, very, very cool about writing games, because he saw this intense potential for all this storytelling within video game format, which is, you know, I guess we're kind of on the forefront of it at this point. Like, there is some out there, obviously, but, like... He's like, holy shit, like, think about all the cool stories we can tell in a first-person shooter. Like, he was very, yeah. very into the idea, and he wanted Fuck to yeah. kind of, you know, expand that a little bit more. Right. So, Gordon would be back as our, you know, protagonist, our quiet man, <laughs> as would the G-Man. They decided to bring him back, our ominous oh, they briefcase caring person. Oh, good old G-Man. Yeah. Uh, Wake yeah. up, Mr. Freeman. <laughs> Wake up and This time you'd be working ashes. for him. It's funny, um, you mentioned the, the <laughs> facial animations and stuff like that. That shit fucking blew me away uh-huh. Uh (laughs) It blew a lot of people away, and that'll come up in a big way later. (laughs) So the story itself would revolve around the events of the first game. Obviously, they opened up a portal, all that shit. We didn't really talk about it, but if you're listening to this, you probably know a little bit about Half-Life, and if you don't, go read a wiki. It's not really important that you know. Um, (laughs) So originally, they thought the game, as I mentioned earlier, would be Gordon would hop from planet to planet fighting those aliens known as the Zen from the first game. But they were like, no, this kind of sucks because it'd be really hard to maintain like a narrative continuity between all that shit. Right, yeah, sure, that makes sense. They were into expanding. They wanted like, let's expand beyond Black Mesa. Like, let's get out of the lab and do more. But they were like, let's not expand to the whole fucking universe. (laughs) Let's think something different. Yeah. Then came a leading idea from art director Viktor Antonov, who suggested that the game take place in and around an Eastern European city. Yes. The man, I I had to stop my girlfriend. I was like, hey, do you think it's weird that a man named Viktor Antonov suggested we set the game in an Eastern European city? Yeah, whatever. Dude's a hero. That game has aesthetic for He grew up in Serbia, I believe, which is probably why he was like, Oh, guys, you want a weird, grim, gray scenario to <laughs> I live <got> in? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, City 17 is just where he grew up, yes, right? Now, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> this is where the idea of City 17 evolved from. And this will be the aesthetic that the game would grow into, mm-hmm. which is famous. And it's fucking one of my favorite aesthetics yeah, ever. Yeah, me too. Me too. So Laidlaw would hammer down the main points, and then he moved on to developing characters and their relationships, which is going to be a big part of this game. He created characters like Eli Vance at this point yeah, and his yeah. daughter. Alex, who obviously becomes very famous character in video games, period. And explicitly reminds me of Rosario Dawson in Half-Life 2. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's actually a good point. A bit, but she's awesome, yeah. They should give her her own game. I was just thinking about <laughs> And yeah, then, personally, yeah. And then obviously, I guess we should mention as well that like this is when all of the scientists and security personnel were kind of combined into the reoccurring characters of Dr. Kleiner and Barney. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. At this point, Kleiner was... I think that was actually Gabe's suggestion. Oh, yeah? Not I think. It was. Gabe... 
I'll get into a minute about how he takes a bit of a hands-off approach in Half-Life 2, but he's the one who was like, hey, let's make Kleiner the villain of this. <laughs> like, I think that's a pretty cool idea. That's Not great. Kleiner, um, yeah, 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 Kleiner, sorry. Uh, or are you talking I keep about... confusing him. Dr. Kleiner is the scientist who helps you. Reed, I think it is. Right, right? yes. Or, yeah, 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 yeah. Dr. Breen? Dr. Breen. Breen. Yes, Breen. Yes, thank you. Yes. I was like, I know it's Or wait, is he a doctor? I forget. They're, yeah, they're uh, both old white guys. Sorry for getting them confused. Bring the one who kind of looks like a younger Sean Connery is talking on the, the yes. TVs. Dr. Kleiner is the one who has kind of the yes. measly Dr. voice Wallace and glasses. Dr. Wallace Green was the administrator of the Black Mesa okay. Research Facility. Both doctors. Yep. 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 And works with the, the yeah. Combine and all that. Apparently all those voice actors are really awesome people, too. <laughs> They're all actual actors, yeah. so we'll get into that a little bit later, too. Kleiner reminds me of, at the beginning of The Elder Scrolls Morrowind, when you're doing your intro sequence, there's a guy who goes, Ah, yes! At the beginning of the game, and introduces you, and he looks and reminds you of me and my friend, who's probably listening right now, used to literally start new games over and over again just to hear the guy go, Yes, and laugh at it fucking endlessly. <laughs> that was the funniest shit. That's how we open every uh, conversation. <laughs> so, in 2001, the game was now two years into development, and the engine was moving along nicely, the story was coming together, and the artists were hard at work. But mm -hmm. the game was seemingly a lifetime away from completion at this point. But this began to turn around when those physics I mentioned earlier started operating inside of the actual levels they were designing. It was a huge boost morale and a real proof of concept. So, the team had developed a little playground level called Zombie Basketball. Right! Basically, I heard about this they used before. the physics manipulation gun, which we'll get into a little bit later Hell as well, yeah. and they would throw zombies into a hoop. And if you know anything about nerds, this shit was fucking out of this world. Like, <laughs> they must have been having so much fun, you know? Yeah. Like, the potential from this, like, working in the game was seemingly limitless. Quote, I imagine throwing saw blades to cut enemies in half, tossing a paint can against a wall and seeing it splatter. Yeah. This was exactly what they wanted for that point B we talked about earlier. Hammering home that concept of Half-Life 1, where the player's interaction and impact on the environment was a major part of the game's concept. Like, people don't realize, like, nowadays it's like any fucking game. You know, you shoot something on a wall and it falls over. There's like a can and you can knock it over. Like, yeah. that's not how it ever, it, it wasn't like that yeah. for decades. Obviously not decades, but like a good portion of time there were 3D worlds where this wasn't a thing because there weren't physics integrated into games. Like, not in this sort of way. I think that Playground, or Tech Demo, however you want to put it, they had, like, like water in there to like to show buoyancy on objects and stuff like that. There too? was a ton of ton of shit in yeah, there. It was like fucking it was, really good. Nobody ever saw anything like that before, you know? Like No, absolutely. Mm -hmm. However, this was a double-edged sword because now they were worried about giving the players too much freedom and <laughs> potentially creating a level design nightmare where they would have to plan for everything and nothing at the That's same true. time. That's true, yeah, because you, know? you just stack all the boxes and hop out of the map. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so on the tail end of this revelation, the game began receiving its first bouts of hype. There was the potential of this physics integration we just talked about in relation to Ken's work on the character models and their emotions. Apparently there were rumors that said, quote, characters looked as good as those in the final Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to cover that on someday. <laughs> yeah. 
apparently even Bill Gates, who's just a guy who used to play poker at Gabe's new house and then never did anything else, even <laughs> he was interested in that demo. So all of this positive feedback gave the team a huge fucking morale boost, and they were like, let's create a small test sequence containing all this cool tech, and let's show it off. Understandable, yeah. <laughs> I almost didn't include this first line, I'm just gonna say. Okay. A forum user by the name of Pokemans with a Z123. <laughs> 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 yeah, I'm glad you included emailed, this already. That's <laughs> me too. Because originally I had it as the sentence ahead of this, and I was like, you know what? I should include the username. It's one of my favorites ever. Pokemans one two three. He emailed Mark Laidlaw years later and was like, "Can I have the script for this test sequence you guys made?" So the test sequence was called Free TVs, I think. I think it's either Get Your TV or Free TVs or something like that. Okay. I'm just going to read the email that Laidlaw said back about the script. Quote, The video, as I recall, was a viewpoint character moving through some dingy buildings on a deserted street. When around the corner run two citizens carrying old-fashioned boxy television sets, the first one shouts, TVs! Free TVs! As he runs past. The second one says, a bit more a fast mutter, Get one! Get a TV! Get yourself a TV! (laughs) I think as the viewpoint keeps going, you round a corner and see a citizen and a cop in a very awkward shuffle, where the cop tries to conk the citizen with a nightstick. The citizen's trying to protect himself with his fist. Did he say, pick up that TV? (laughs) (laughs) Somewhere here, maybe in a different map, another citizen hurls a Molotov cocktail at a building and starts a small fire. I think there might be alarms going off the whole time. (laughs) It was a pretty short clip, and I'm not even sure what it was supposed to demo, considering it was a Graph, which I try to find what that was. Apparently, it's some like convention where they yeah, show. Yeah, so off. I worked with people in college who went to SIGGRAPH. It is an organization, special interest group on graphics. I think is oh, what SIGGRAPH okay. stands for, and they have an annual convention where people go off and show new graphics technology. So they probably that yeah, demo was okay. probably prepared for the convention to show off. Yeah, their and even tech. if it wasn't, I got the vibe from that that he was using SIGGRAPH as kind of like saying like as to encompass the idea that it was a graphics demo but right, using yeah. like the phrase SIGGRAPH to explain that. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. So he makes it sound kind of clunky and I wanted to <laughs> express that. It really wasn't. It was kind of like a nice little showing of all this little thing kind yeah. of supposed to show like a riot happening like and it was pretty fucking cool. I just thought him fumbling through like I don't know it was kind of like this <laughs> <laughs> Don't know something historic or revolutionary when you see it. No. <laughs> this got a lot of people excited, including Gabe Newell himself, who was like, all right, get to work on a similar proof of concept, but this time make it about Half-Life 2. So if it all looked good, they would ramp up full production, and the team got to work in late 2002 on that. Meanwhile, Gabe was hoping that they could release some sort of something at E3 2002. Mm. But as I mentioned earlier, he was stepping back. And he wasn't totally involved in the game. As I mentioned earlier, he said he was responsible for picking the main villain, but he handed almost everything in production over to the team. He wanted a more hands-off approach this time so he could stay as objective as possible on the quality. Plus, he was busy as hell working on Steam, 
which we talked about earlier. <laughs> right. That was his main focus around this time period. So, when the team was finally ready to show off that tech demo, they were uneasy, but they were proud of the tech coming together. Apparently, some of the physics were clicking a little bit better, yeah. and they had been going through what they were doing. It seemed pretty cool. Rightfully so. They showed it off to Gabe, and I'm not going to get into every detail of the demo, but there was a dialogue-heavy 20-minute sequence where Dr. Kleiner's lab on the Borealis, which is a ship... Which we can talk about, oh, you know, our Portal. own fun fan. Yes, exactly. There's a reason it doesn't show up in Half-Life 2, but it was supposed to. Yep. And apparently, like, you just talked to him in his lab for a little while, and there was a bunch of stuff. It was very exposition-heavy, and then it got into a little bit of the details and stuff like that. So when the demo was over, Gabe spoke. Quote, We could take this to E3, but you want this to be the thing fans want it to be. Something that is going to blow them away. And after a little more discussion, he said in relation to E3 2002, Quote, Guys, unfortunately, we're just not there yet. Oh. So this is kind of a huge blow to the team yeah. at this point. For morale. For- yeah, absolutely for yeah. morale. They started questioning all the core concepts of the games themselves. They were like, are we too late? Is it not revolutionary enough? All this shit. Yeah. And the pressure to outdo themselves was more present than ever. Remember the thing. There was no pressure from developers or money. It was just, let's outdo Half-Life 1. Yeah, yeah. So, quote, if Half-Life 2 isn't viewed as the best PC game of all time, it's going to completely bum out most of the guys on this team. <laughs> that's from Gabe. At least we know the end result of this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and that's from Newell. The idea of creating a game that was narratively engaging with unique and memorable character development, all within this cinematic movie feeling while still making it fun and actually function as yeah. a video game, that was all weighing on the team. These guys, literally, all the pressure was on themselves. Like, we really want to fucking outdo themselves, and we, you know, deliver this, and it's not that good. And I also like to point out the parallels between Half-Life 1. This is kind of the point in Half-Life 1 development where they were like, throw everything out, we're starting over. (laughs) And they were kind of getting the same vibes now the second time around. (laughs) I do love that this is their mission, though. Like, it's very, like, These people are a dedicated team, and it shows, obviously. During development here, it doesn't feel like a product. Like, this feels like a, you know, like, people are really passionate about... Yeah, it feels like a like an indie project, like a passion project. Yeah, it yeah. does. I got that vibe the entire time researching this development. That mm-hmm. this has the AAA monikers of like crunching and fucking big budgets, but like these guys really just wanted to make a great game, and that's why fucking Half Life series is so goddamn memorable because yeah. it really yeah. is just made with that kind of love, you know. So all is not lost. They wouldn't make E3 2002, but they weren't about to give up on all that hard work. Over the summer, the team had a really tough time, though. But by September, they were ready to show off another tech demo. Okay. They worked through the summer. Obviously, it's a hard time working through the summer after that morale. So after some uneasy feelings following a weekend of crunching, they decided to put in one last 15 hours, and the results paid off. Quote, Now the physics on the bridge were breaking in. The people were running across the catwalk. The strider was ducking under the bridge as it attacked. It seemed like we finally had a game, and it came together overnight. Now, if you don't really know much about the game, that won't make a lot of sense, but striders are these giant, cool fucking robots that are really important in the game, and basically describing a very cool cinematic scene. They're almost comparable to the tripods from War of the Worlds or something. They have a very imposing scale to them. So, it seemed like everything had gotten back on track. Morale was restored, it was boosted, Gabe loved it, and they pushed on. And in October of 2002, the team was gathered by Gabe in a meeting... And he said, quote, we have to prepare to announce the game at E3 this year and get it out by the end of 2003. Mm, uh, 
<laughs> Knowing what I do about game releases, uh, <laughs> well, very commonplace nowadays. <laughs> so the team got back to work on the production of the game with a new morale boost, and after showing Gabe and everything and all this stuff, they're ready to go. If you remember from Half-Life 1 episode, we talked about this cabal system where they got together this team of like people from all the different departments and kind of had a rotating cast where yes, they would like, right. specifically go through every aspect of the game. The cabal system was reinstated in the Half-Life 2 development, obviously. This time it was a little bit different. Instead of one grand cabal trying to put the game together at the last minute, rotating, it was kind of like small localized groups that would work with each other. Like you'd have one guys over here all doing right. this mm. sort of thing, one group of guys over here doing this sort of thing dedicated and kind of using this concept basically just working in teams they seem to like think this was some crazy unique idea <laughs> maybe the way they did it was a little bit different but i was having trouble while researching finding the difference between just working as a team and this system <laughs> uh, they're all trapped in there they didn't know <laughs> one of the major changes in this development which i don't know a whole lot about game development to be honest but the way they did this one was the art and the game were completely separate in the production of Half-Life 2. Really? They had these things called orange maps. Basically, the they like maps... That color. like <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, picture like your like regular map, like a map of a game level, but picture no little weird details, no textures, no nothing, just like, it's like a house made of drywall or something like that. Like, I have a great picture I could show you, maybe we can post it or something, but just, yeah. just kind of get that idea. There's no textures, no nothing, just orange. It's just a layout, right, uh, I guess? Yeah. Well, okay. they would fully design the map, and the level progression and all the enemies and where you would do, how, like, if you could duck behind cover on this thing, if you turned here and a monster got to, if there was a puzzle here where the enemies would come, they designed all of that, and then the textures were added later. Later, yeah. they would then take these orange maps and texture them and put all these little things. And like I said, I don't know enough about game development, that's... but if that's if that's how games are made now, then Valve kind of helped pioneer that. Yeah, that's pretty standard, especially for 3D games. Yeah. Because it's so have like... that much split between like your level designers and well, your, yeah, your if artists? If you think about a basic pipeline, right? If you want a texture... Well, at this point, they had no pipeline in the development, by the way. <laughs> yeah. If you want to texture everything and make all the assets and then start the design, it's going to take way longer. Uh, so you do basic textures, and then that way you can sandbox stuff and play around with physics and puzzles and enemy encounter design and stuff like that while the artists are working on their I mean does that textures. also account for like when events trigger like whether they're interactive or not like Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. Think about it like, you know, the saw blades that you pick up in Half-Life and fling at people. Mm -hmm. It would be Good like it, it would just be like a disc, like an untextured disc okay. and the enemies would be like they might have an unfinished enemy model and then that, that way they can work on the physics of the dismemberment of being cut in half by a saw blade and then they can add the texture of the gravity gun and the saw blade after. Alright, I guess that yeah. makes more sense like to a lot of times, and... A lot of shooters they'll be like, ah, oh, we finished a gun and so like you might be shooting the shotgun but it'll look like the SMG, mm -hmm. you know. Here you go, Randall. I posted a picture of one in the uh, Discord so we'll take a look at that. Yep, that's pretty standard. Oh, Okay. Yeah. Wow, there's so much yeah. orange. <laughs> it almost there looks like Stanley Parable or something like that. Yes, it does. <laughs> you see how they're all numbered, too? Yeah. Like it says yeah, railing 32. Yeah. That's like to help them keep track of what texture would be there. Gotcha. And stuff like that. Okay. That's kind of fucking cool looking, actually. Yeah. So another big part of this with theirs, the engine was still being worked on 
while this is happening. Don't forget, Valve was creating the Source engine while all this Half-Life 2 development was happening. They were supposed to be in conjunction, and the Source engine's first game was supposed to be Half-Life 2. So, a big issue that they had were a lot of these map designers were working on levels that were supposed to contain vehicles. See, vehicles in early Half-Life 2 development were like, we need fucking vehicles. It's going to open the world up. It's going to be so cool. Oh, weird. I think a lot okay. of the reason they wanted this is because they were originally, well, no, they were originally supposed to code in a scene where you were flying helicopters in Half-Life 1, but they didn't have time. Apparently, they had designed all the physics for it and everything and oh. put it together, but like they didn't have time to put it into the game. So I think they were like, we got to get fucking vehicles into this one. <laughs> At this point, a jet ski is what they wanted, like more of like a jet ski type of thing than a hoverboat, and that we'll get into that later, actually. But the issue was, you had level designers designing levels that were supposed to contain vehicles. However, the engine was still working on how the physics of vehicles would work. So they had to design levels without even knowing how the vehicle physics would function. So... Basically, they need to be like, all right, let's put like a drop here, but it's like they don't even know if, if in the physics <laughs> engine the car might explode if it falls from this drop. And apparently, this you know lack of timing often led to tons of things that held back production. <laughs> They'd be like, oh, we have to now change this whole level because the engine won't function that way. It's funny they became so fascinated with vehicles that it, it was like the basis of their first episode yeah. or Half Life Two episode one. Absolutely. <laughs> so in February of two thousand three. Gabe brought together a bunch of people for this meeting, and he said, we're going to release this game on September 30th of 2003. Ooh, he got boy. super fucking specific, okay. and yeah, we can get into a little bit about why he got so specific later, but there's not really much to it. Some people think that it was that he wanted to keep the team pushing hard through the summer. Others thought that maybe it was kind of close to the anniversary of Half-Life. All right. The point is, he got very specific. Yeah, and that, that's a <laughs> and busy time a of year day. for games, too. Like, So, the team was very excited. They were like, oh, cool, we have a release date. But that's about <laughs> where the excitement fucking ended. Because this would mean that the press... you fucking imagine if games this way were like that? Like, this is our oh, date yeah. while you're, like, that early in fucking production? That is kind well, of how the... games are. <laughs> well, uh, no, that is absolutely... Really? Like, the date to a T? Not like... Uh, sometimes. Okay. Maybe it's easy to yeah. forget right now because nothing has a release date anymore. But... See, yeah. that's why this is odd that he said such a specific date. Because, you know what's just as awful as saying a specific date? Just saying holiday this time? That's also just as much pressure. You know? Sure, yeah, that is true. But. but, you know, what they weren't excited about was the pressure of completing this fucking game on time and all the crunch that was about to happen to make this fucking happen. Yeah. All that stress-free, we got an unlimited budget and all, you know, nothing to worry about but making a good game. Whoop, all that was out the fucking door. Now it's time to, like, just buckle down and make something happen. Yeah. Quote, I figured there were enough hours left between where we were in February and where we needed to be in September to finish the game, but I wasn't exactly looking forward to using all those hours to hit that date. <laughs> I That's a quote from I'd... John Guthrie, who was a longtime <laughs> level designer at Valve, who was actually picked up in that id scoop <laughs> for the first one, where they were like, yeah. let's find some id people. Yeah. No, I can't imagine. Like, I, that's yeah. So Gabe seemed very excited and very ready to reveal something in E3. He continually talked about how he was tired of trying to expect what the fans wanted from Half-Life, and he was ready to just actually see what they wanted and if they were excited. Quote, At E3, I'm finally going to be able to look the fans in the eyes and say, Okay, what do you guys think? <laughs> so 
at E3 in 2003, what would they reveal? As we talked about, they were worried about the crunch. They had a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Originally, the plan, Gabe said, was how about we get a 30-minute demo where Alex escorts you through a lab, and then it gets attacked, and then a bunch of other shit, you know, yada yada, typical Half-Life kind of tech demo <laughs> shit. But everyone there was like, are you fucking kidding me? You want us to make a 30-minute demo while you just said September 30th is our cutoff date. <laughs> Nobody was ready for that. They couldn't spend any time developing anything else but what would ship with the game. Like, there was no other time to do anything else on the side. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. That's probably part of the reason why demos have become so yeah. rare in general right now. Absolutely. Yeah. So, what do they show at E3 instead? They showed a bunch of comparison photos. There was like a side by side of like G Man and Gordon and all this stuff to show how far they'd come in like the facial construction and all that good shit. Yeah, just the past year. They had some brand new gameplay snippets and they had some proof of concept videos showcasing all those cool physics things we were talking about getting into the game. But that was it. And apparently, Gabe, the entire weekend, every time he was up, asked fans, is this a worthy successor? Uh, do you like this? Kind of like asking, asking, asking. And everybody was responding with a resounding yes. Okay. This is what we want. <laughs> so I was waiting and for. I wrote here in my notes, fucking fanboys. <laughs> <laughs> that's a weird attitude to take, where it's just like, is this what you want? Because yeah. that's what game development has sort of become. And I kind of hate man? it. Or it's just like, oh, yeah. don't yeah. make what I want. Like, make what you want, and I'll learn to like it. Yeah. Or hate it. But I don't like, know what I want. Yeah. I can't decide which of my 200 games That's I want to play. That's why I, I yeah. always feel bad when we get into some discussions about modern releases. It's like, I don't want to armchair design, because it's like, I'm dependent on the idea that somebody who is more talented and more creative than me to figure out like exactly. solutions yeah. to problems. Yeah, that's like, exactly it. What's the next thing? Like, yeah. Don't listen to me. Okay, like yeah, that. Fuck, fuck like, me. Yeah. I want you to create what's revolutionary. Yeah. Then I'll be like, holy shit, that was revolutionary. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it won best at show again. This year, there wasn't as many fucking epic best games of all time hard hitters like there was with Half-Life 1. Not <laughs> right. a tech demo but, could sweep the fucking awards. <laughs> but what once again paralleled Half-Life 1 is that a lot of those people and the press especially, were skeptical. A lot of the press were saying, why isn't there a demo? They're showing off all this cool stuff, sure, <laughs> but if you're releasing in September, why don't you have a demo at The fact E3? that that was a question back then as opposed to... <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, because everybody had demos. Yeah. But yeah. like... It's June, they got it's three a good months. <laughs> it's a good question, and there's a reason. <laughs> no, so, you can't play it, just look at it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And the team comes back from E3, especially Gabe, and they were all high on the E3 hype, but a reality check was about to fucking smash through the doors of Valve. Quote from Gabe, I'd sit in meetings, and when I'd talk about September 30th, the rest of the team would just start looking at the ceiling. <laughs> no shit. Game started look looking and realizing, <laughs> like, yeah, there were still so many things that needed to be added to this proverbial list of things for completion, which I'm sure there was a real list, but you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. yeah. They were like, we need to add this and this and this and this and this, but they were still getting hung up on things that were already on the list that were taking longer than expected. You're writing a new engine while simultaneously developing a game. You're bound to run into a lot of bugs and things that don't work as well, and it's going to take time. Gabe, all while still seemed unaware, or maybe he was trying to avoid reality, I I'm not sure, but 
the reality eventually came hard, they had a meeting. Birdwell said in this meeting that the only way the game was going to ship by September 30th would be if they cut it in half. This included removing all of the vehicle levels, moving almost half of all the cinematic scenes, or maybe more. Gabe said, quote, It was more like slowly pulling the thread of a sweater until eventually the whole thing falls apart. I think there's actually a song for that. Um, (laughs) But... Uh, it was coming undone, would you say? Yeah, I, mean, yeah, I think uh, it was. I would say a little bit. By the yeah. neighborhood is what you're talking about, right? <laughs> yes, thank you. For, thank yeah. you. <laughs> sure, sure. No, I'm actually talking about the song Girls by Weezer. Oh, okay. Oh. That's the only yeah. sweater-related song Weezer's ever girls, done. Girls, Girls, Girls by Beastie Boys. Yeah. Girls just want to have Wait, fun. Wait, or is that Motley Crue? I'm... <laughs> Whatever. I think that's Motley Crue. How'd you get Motley Crue and the Beastie Boys confused? Because Beastie Boys have a song called Girls. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's also annoying. (laughs) And and I like the Beastie Boys, but. You know what? I'm going to make a hot button edict here. Fuck Motley Crue. Oh, well, yeah. No, Motley Crue sucks. I wasn't defending them by any means. Hot button is officially anti Motley Crue with no basis (laughs) for that. I've been taking that stance for years. It sounds like somebody is not Dr. Feelgood. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, continue. (laughs) I hate you so much. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Yeah. So this pressure of being so adamant on saying that September 30th was our go-to date and fueling all the hype at E3 and all that shit, that was starting to get to Newell a little bit. (laughs) By July, it was becoming very painfully obvious that this game was not going to make September 30th release date. It took until July? (laughs) A lot of what I was reading, a big part of this research comes from Jeff Keighley article, (laughs) as I've forgotten intro, but I'll talk about that. (laughs) Jeff Uh, (laughs) Where he was very close to the production of Half-Life 1 and 2. Like, there's pictures of him when he's really young, like, in there on the ground floor, and Gabe's very comfortable talking to him. He kind of gets up front with him, like, what's the fucking deal? And we'll get into that a little bit later. But it's almost like Gabe was kind of like, it seems like he was weirdly, like, he was either disconnected or didn't understand, or maybe, like I said, was trying to ignore reality. But by July, it was, you couldn't ignore it anymore. So what did they do? They just told everyone and got that out of the way, right? (laughs) No. (laughs) Valve literally said nothing and told no one about what was happening. For a little bit, things are okay, but Vivendi Universal Games, however, which is, by the way, the new publisher of Half-Life, because... Vivendi published Half-Life? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yep. Because... There was a company called CUC International, which for the rest of this paragraph I'll refer to as Cuck International. (laughs) Um, They had (laughs) bought Sierra Online earlier because they had something called the Cuck Software Division. And they were like, all right, we'll purchase Sierra Online and get them in there. Then apparently Cuck got like mixed up in a bunch of restructurings and it ended up being Vivendi Universal Games, <laughs> which I'll refer to as VU Games for that one. So they changed their date with retailers. They told retailers that the game is now being pushed to holidays 2003. And this is against Valve's thing. So a lot of fans were like, wait, what? What do you mean holiday 
you know, 2003. You said September 30th. Yeah, There's like, no it's holidays it's in 2003. Holiday <laughs> imply November, December? Is that the territory? I think that so. The, that okay. is definitely holiday territory. Thanksgiving, right. Christmas era. Yeah. It's just, it's just vague enough, though, to, you know. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Apparently, uh, one of the webmasters of a forum or something reached out to Gabe and received this now legendary response. He asked, what's the deal with the holiday 2003 release? Quote, First time I've heard of this. That's from Gabe. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is in July, months after they knew the game wasn't going you to be released. You yeah. see, the problem is that three and four are right next to each other on the keyboard. So actually, <laughs> it's not even coming out this year, you idiots. <laughs> Jeez. So in August, Valve said in a public response, quote, release dates unchanged. <laughs> <laughs> and then a few days later, at a trade show, on? Greg Coomer, who is a designer at Valve, said to a journalist, quote, It'll be tight, but Half-Life 2 is still on for a September 30th ship. Uh. <laughs> this is in August. <laughs> this is one month before the fucking game comes out. Doesn't it still have to fucking go gold and get, like, discs pressed? It's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's 2004. Like At this point... In August, it should be gold. Yeah, this this is like final bug testing territory. Mm-hmm. At this, this is final thing. bug testing. They should be shipping things to VU and getting things ready. This is not. Yeah. This is not what happened. I'm not at all obviously. criticizing the people who crunched really hard, no. but like it's just the no, 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 the no, no, PRT no. making means, these no. fucking statements of like, yeah, it's comes September. There, there no pre-order now. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh. so for a second, I want to get into some, a little bit about Gabe Newell. There's no fucking surprise, in my opinions, on people who have a billion dollars. We can leave that out for one second (laughs) so I can talk about this. Gabe Newell loves the fucking fans of Valve games, okay? It's unfucking deniable. He is literally notorious for answering phone calls at 3 a.m. Yeah. For S- fucking sending personal emails to people. Sending like, yeah. personal emails to tons of fans. Yeah. Uh, at least back in the day, he was always on forums talking to people up front. He is very into the fans. From very early point, he was like, look, fans are important. They're the people buying your fucking games. Talk to them. Be a friend to them. And that's kind of the reason why there's such a cult of personality around him in general. Because other than that, he's not a very fucking charismatic or kind of exciting dude no offense like <laughs> sure but yeah. he's a great developer and he's very upfront with people and this is important to him no you're, you're so absolutely right in the summer leading up to the release of half-life 2 though newell was completely silent this Which was a very out of character for, of for that era yeah. because it was exactly it was very very out of character and i'll talk in a minute about why i think that love for fans played into some of the reason why a lot of this shit happened mm. in a fan visit to valve on september 18th the fan was figuring the game was already in mass production, given it's only 12 days from coming out. There's probably 12, discs on the way, all of this shit. <laughs> yeah. Oh. He asked Gabe to his face, hey, what's the deal? Like, game's only like 12 days from production. What's going on? How is it? Like, all this shit. Mm-hmm. And I guess with a face-to-face thing, it wasn't as easy to say September 30th for the first time we heard something else. Newell just said, quote, we'll see. I mean, I appreciate like he couldn't lie to the, this person's face. Yeah. Like, yeah. On September twenty third, that's just a week, <sighs> a week before the game is supposed to release. Valve finally releases a press release. Quote: The previously announced September thirtieth release date for Half Life Two is being pushed back. We are currently targeting 
a holiday release, but do not have a specific in-store date to share at this time. End wow. I, I remember that delay, but I didn't know it was that down to the wire. That's, it was right there, dude. Yeah. So, <laughs> at this point, I have a lot of feelings about fans <laughs> of things, as we've talked about yes. many a times in our personal life and on Hot Button. We all have the kind of same sentiment towards people who are fans of things. Yep. But fans felt betrayed. And though a little dramatic, it's kind of justified. All the silence from Valve in the face of all of the fans' hype for this game, it was a recipe for fucking disaster and a recipe for clashing among these people, too. People started thinking, like, all right, maybe the press around E3 were right about the state of the game, you know? Maybe all they had a reason to say all these things, so why wasn't there a demo? Oh, maybe, like, they're fucking staying silent because they're gonna fuck us on this or that. And turns out, they were completely right. September 30th came and went with no Half-Life, but for Gabe, he couldn't even hide from the shame of that day. On September 30th, you imagine Gabe was probably like, alright, fuck this day, you know? (laughs) I'm not gonna be online. He couldn't do anything, because ATI paid Valve around allegedly $6 million in an endorsement deal to ship their game with their new graphics card. And this included throwing a release party for Half-Life 2, of which they rented out the island of Alcatraz for. (laughs) Holy shit! This came up on Giant Bomb not that long ago, where they were like, a couple of them were like from GameSpot at the time were invited to that party, and like, they talked about how like shit went down or stuff didn't... ATI (laughs) months in advance rented Alcatraz for a fucking release party for their new graphics card and for Half-Life 2. If I'm not mistaken, I think they had like merch printed and everything. Like they had shirts and stuff. It was rough. (laughs) This was a business partner event. So Gabe Newell, he couldn't back out. And now, on a day where he was supposed to release his game, and then just seven days prior said he wasn't going to, he was now trapped in a literal prison with game (laughs) journalists. (laughs) It's holy shit. This is funny. It's probably stressful as fuck, but like... I mean, it's funny now. Can you imagine, like, I gotta go to Alcatraz because they rented (laughs) an island for the fucking shit we fucked up. (laughs) <laughs> Gabe had to give a speech. He got on stage. He thanked ATI. He showed off some source engine footage. I wonder, saying, if, that, I wonder what... if that speech is out there. <laughs> yeah. He, it was very a matter of fact, very prepared. Oh, yeah. yeah. He showed off some source engine footage and was like, here's what we can do. Here's the graphics cards, all that stuff. And he got off stage and he left. No mention of Half Life, no mention of nothing. Apparently, he was ambushed at the door by a journalist. I think it was GameSpot. I'm not sure. Yeah. And then he got this quote. Quote, I hate release dates. No matter how hard we try, we screw them up. End quote. I mean, I'm kind of with him. Yeah. It's still a problem today. Like, it's... Absolutely. Yeah, and, it's a and all the, a lot of the fiscal quarterly thing and how much that affects crunch and... absolutely. fucking yeah. There are tons of problems. And I guess we have to ask, Why? Why were we late? Why did they continue to keep the standpoint of, let's just say the game's going to release on September 30th no matter what's fucking happening? 
There's a lot of speculation around it. They think that maybe they were just paralyzed by the fact that we now have this solid date and we are not going to release it in time and we're worried about disappointing our fans, which I think is a big point. Yeah. Maybe they didn't want to give up this and that. Gabe actually said, I didn't want to announce a new release date if we didn't have one. But it's like, so instead you said nothing? You know? Mm. My personal opinion is this. I, I Are honestly there NDAs, think... NDAs, maybe? I don't know. That's... I don't think so. Yeah. I, my personal opinion, I think, is basically Gabe was like very fucking ambitious, very excited, wanted to get this shit out there to the fans, was very hands-off on the production, and he was like, this is what we're going to do. And then when it came to the time when it wasn't going to happen, he was A, like, all right, fuck, a little bit of this shit happened with Half-Life 1, if you remember. We had to throw out the whole fucking game. We had to start over. We had to delay the release. I don't want to do this disappointing shit again. People are, like, really waiting. He's got, at this point, fans every day. Like, we love fucking Half-Life. Please give us more. Give us time that's going to come. Blah, blah, yeah. blah. And he just got literally, like, anxiety paralyzed by it. He didn't want to say a new release date because he didn't have one. But he just couldn't bear the fact to fucking just come out and say, we're sorry, we are wrong, you know? And I think it resulted in just this weird media blackout, which is obviously regretful for them, but even more regretful for the people interested in it, yeah, you know? That's, that's I mean, rough. think about this. I skipped school when Halo 3 came out and fucking played that game. I planned for weeks. I still, to this day, was like, I was recently let go. We have a pandemic happening, but I had requested off three days around the release of fucking Cyberpunk because that's <laughs> we get excited for video yeah. games, you know? I'm pretty sure I also took off of school after the day that Halo 3 came out. I'm pretty sure I did I that didn't. too. No? <laughs> Nerd. You call yourself a Halo fan. <laughs> I wasn't allowed to. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I took off for GTA 4. You couldn't fake a cough? Come on. No. Well, I think I did for GTA 4 as well. <laughs> it was disappointing for a lot of people, for the fans and Valve, and very obviously a huge fucking hit for the production team. Yeah. So with no new date to produce, Valve got back to work. We're not giving up still. We have a game to make, you know, there's still money. There's still time. They got back to work hoping for a 2004 release. Maybe that would be our year. They worked through the holidays hoping that would put them ahead. But something else was about to happen and smash the morale for the team even further into the ground. In October of 2003, the source code for Half-Life 2 was completely leaked yes, onto the internet. I was wondering if you were going to get into this. <laughs> yes. Mm -hmm. Fans were getting a look at the state of the game in October 2003. So, there is an article that I mentioned yesterday to you, too, which is an interview with the person responsible for all of this shit. It's a Eurogamer article, an interview. We should post it either the day before or after or something because it's incredible. Everyone should fucking read it. I don't know anything about computers or hacking, and I was so engaged by the way he was describing what he did. That's even awesome, though I only yeah. understood about 10% of what the fuck he was <laughs> talking I about. I may have read the same piece. I, I, I think I know what you're yeah, talking about. I barely know what he was talking about, but it was so fucking cool. And everyone should read it, and I'm not going to get into it and get into all the details. There's no reason we're going to be like, he backdoored into this and did this and wrote this. <laughs> this kid was very fucking cool and intuitive. It was just awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, the hack basically damaged the team's morale, like I mentioned earlier, and potentially cost the company millions and millions of dollars in revenue. 
the hacker insists in the article that he wasn't the one to release the source code. He was a huge fan yes. of Valve and Half-Life. He definitely was. Like, I mean, gigantic. He was into these games. Basically, he had kind of probed their system just to be like, maybe I can see like a screenshot or something. And then he found this insane vulnerability and was like, I'm a hacker. I'm, he couldn't help himself. You know what I mean? <laughs> he just kind of got deeper and deeper and deeper until he hit the jackpot and was like, fuck it, I'm downloading the game. He insists he didn't release the source code that he sent to somebody who did release the source code. I believe the person referred to himself as a Osama bin leaker, I think it was. <laughs> what? Jesus <laughs> yeah. Christ. Yeah. This was a different uh, time. <laughs> yeah. If you read the article with the person involved, there's no way he was the one who released it. Because you could just tell from the way he talks that that was not a name he would pick. So, <laughs> Like off the, yeah. off the top of your head, you couldn't come up with anything yeah. more. <laughs> it also goes without saying that all the stuff you're talking about right now is that they were their own publisher. If they were still under the Sierra banner, this all might have gone very differently. Yeah. Uh, well, mm-hmm. the kid's name was Axel Gembe. Gemb? He's German. I'm not sure how to say that last name. I'm assuming Gemb. I'm not sure. Yeah. In February of 2004, Gemb actually emailed Gabe, taking full responsibility for what he did and apologizing in the email. That's ballsy for a hacker. (laughs) Absolutely. He felt bad. The source code was out there. All this shit was blowing up. Literally, Valve just got fucked over by themselves, arguably, but still fucked by this whole release date fiasco. And now their whole game had just leaked out onto the internet a month after that. Mm. He felt horrible. He was a big fan of their games and didn't really want this to, you know, go down like this. He actually, in a separate email, naively asked Gabe for a job. He still insists in, he was like, I was young, I was stupid, all this stuff. Gabe surprisingly agreed. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> That's not super. I was like, well, and funny that he, he should ask. <laughs> to do a phone interview with them. However, the issue is this. The agreeance to the job interview, Gem was kind of setting himself up for a classic FBI tactic where they would get hackers. They would email them like, hey, you did good work. We're offering you a job. Get them to a phone of interview we'll and then do, get we'll them get to an in-person interview just- <laughs> and a fucking arrest them. Yeah, just because fly that in. Was just like a- <laughs> yeah. yeah. So they did a phone interview. They asked him how he did it. He explained everything about how he did it. FBI was there recording the whole time. Then the FBI was like, all right, buy him a plane ticket, buy him a hotel, get him here. (laughs) Then we'll arrest him for all this shit. The FBI set up this plan, and he said, cool, I'll come and do the job interview. What a sting. So the FBI alerted the German police, hey, we're going to do this to one of your people, blah, blah, blah. Here's what we're doing. We're letting you know. Those German police went to his house and woke him up with guns pointed. Holy shit. So I'm just going to read a literal section from the interview of this Eurogamer article. The interview is by Simon Parkin. The interview is with this Axel Gemb person, the hacker. I just wanted to read this to point out the differences between German police and legal system and our own. (laughs) (laughs) Basically, he got woken up with guns in his face. The German police said, let's go downstairs. Let's get out of here. Quote, Can I get something to eat before we leave? Asked Gemb. No problem, said one of the policemen. Gemb reached for a kitchen knife to cut some bread. Apparently every policeman in the room raised their (laughs) rifle at me, he says. Holy fuck. After drinking a cup of coffee and smoking a cigarette, Gemb climbed into the back of the van and was driven to the local police station. There he was greeted by the police chief, 
He walked up to Gem, looked him in the eye, and said, Have you have any idea how lucky you are that we got to you before you got on that plane? <laughs> and that's the end of the section I'm using from the Your Gamer interview. I'm going to go home and read that right now. <laughs> it's yeah. like the uh, German police woke him up. He was like, Hey, mind if I eat some breakfast, smoke a cig, drink some coffee, and then I'll go? And they're like, Yeah, fuck it. Yeah, we'll join you. We'll hang around. Like, <laughs> And then like he gets there, and the, the police... You know, chief is like, you're lucky you didn't get on a plane and deal with the fucking American FBI and that we fucking came and got you first, you oh, yeah. idiot. They would have seen that bread-cutting knife and, uh... <laughs> yeah, exactly. There would have been no bread-cutting knife. They just would have fucking shot him while he was sleeping. Uh, yeah. Um, anyway... My own feelings aside. <laughs> apparently they asked him in the interview a lot about something called the Sasser Worm, which apparently at this point in history was wreaking havoc in a lot of places all over the world. It was designed by somebody named Sven Joshchan. I don't know where he comes from. I didn't really look into it. Sven Johnson? He was raided on the same day as Gemb was. Apparently they were worried that they were in cahoots together and then Gemb was helped writing the Sasser Worm and that he would alert Sven if there was, you know, an issue with him being arrested. The truth is, they didn't fucking know each other. They had nothing to do with it. Apparently, the code that Gemb used to infiltrate Valve and some of the stuff he wrote had a similar method and code to this worm, so they figured that he might be in conjunction um. with this guy, and this worm was doing much more nefarious things yeah. than hacking into Valve. <laughs> so in his interview, he was open and honest about everything that he did, and... After that, he was released after a little bit of time because they were like, he's not a risk to run. All he had to do was check in with the police a few times a week until his trial. Years later, at said trial, no one from Valve was present. He had turned his life around. He got a good job and security. He was all clean. There was no evidence that he was the one who released the source code for Half-Life 2. <laughs> And all he received was two years probation for the hack. His progress in changing his life was used as one of the reasons for being so lenient. What does probation look like as a hacker? Is it like the movie Hackers where they're like, you can't use a computer? Yeah, probably. Be online yeah, I think for it's a lot years. of You're not allowed to use computers, and if you are using computers, you're being monitored, right. etc. <laughs> he was probably allowed to use a computer still because his job was in security that, still. Well, yeah, I imagine that, that was uh, yeah. he was pretty involved in that world. Previously, Just so. an insane look at how a legal system functions when, you know, you look at everything involved, <laughs> you know. These are the Hitler people, everybody, and that's how their legal system functions. Just, just saying. <laughs> Just take a look inside of ourselves. And what would the FBI have done had he been here? When asked about what he would say to Gabe Newell now, quote, I would say this. I am so very sorry for what I did to you. I never intended to cause you harm. If I could undo it, I would. It still makes me sad thinking about everything that happened. I would love to just stay and watch you do your thing, but in the end, I screwed it up. You are my favorite developer, and I will always buy your games. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, for me, in retrospect, you're going to get no sympathy from me. But <laughs> <laughs> So, the team got back to work in January and was not looking forward to more crunch after basically a year of fucking crunching already. <laughs> However, there was some positive stuff. The back tools to they it. had developed now had made the process much smoother, and they were moving along at about three hours of gameplay a month. And by March, they were totally fucking excited and rejoicing with an alpha version of the full game from front to back. Now, three this hours of gameplay March a month is... 2004. That's a pretty good pace. <laughs> yeah. 
apparently at this point all like the tools had kind of clicked and they were literally just making shit you know okay. it was just yeah. work there was barely any designing left the source engine was pretty much except for bugs i'm sure all worked out and how they were going to function it with half-life 2 they were kind of just you know doing one piece at a time at this point the game had come like incredibly far all those characters and lifelike models were all integrated into their cinematic scenes and it was fucking clicking in all fronts the physics gun was moved into an earlier part of the game because apparently it was way later which obviously is important because that's one of the most fucking insanely integral and famous parts of that game in technically general. it was the gravity gun and then it became yeah, sorry, the physics sorry. gun <laughs> the gravity gun yeah <laughs> all those jet ski scenes we talked about were changed to hoverboat and buggy scenes as we talked about earlier a little bit more yeah. at this point that famous train introduction you know gordon riding the train into city 17 that was all done at this point which fucking love that i, scene. I still hear breen's like televised monologue like in my head it's, uh, you have chosen or been chosen to, yeah <laughs> by july the production was winding down mostly everyone was working on playtesting for bugs which was a lot more difficult than you thought because in a f new physics-based engine, there was so much shit that would just crop up that you had no fucking clue about. Like, they were right when they were like, oh, this is going to make bug testing a pain in the ass, and it did. <laughs> At this point, Gabe was, like, kind of still recovering from all of the shit that happened, and now he was getting worried about what Crunch was doing to his team. Quote, We absolutely have chewed people up on this project. You can really burn people out on projects like this, and sometimes they never come back. Mm. He was aware of the crunch, which he gets the smallest bit of violin credit for. I mean, that still speaks volumes when you take into account game development today still, so... Yeah, absolutely. But I, I know what you mean, though. I'm not at all, no like... No excuse for just yeah, following orders and being part the of the system, behavior, but, but, you know, at least he's got some fucking awareness, I guess. There was less of a spotlight on it at this time, I guess I should say. Yeah. But yeah, it still happened. Coming on later into September, no one was really as excited as you think to be a team who was approaching the end of this horribly painful process. They were all tired, including Gabe. Because while all this was happening for two years, Valve and Vivendi were in a fucking lawsuit. What? Basically, yeah, VU Games was being sued by Valve because they sold Counter-Strike licenses to cyber cafes. Oh, apparently, my God. Illegally, like, without Valve's permission. And I'm assuming Vivendi is getting some fucking sort of kickback on the fact that cyber cafes are using licenses to run these games for people that they're charging for. It's a painful fucking process, and Valve was never alerted, and you just can't do that to people. It kind of reminds me of the Tetris thing a little bit, to be honest. Like, it had that kind of feeling. Yeah. Apparently, Vivendi countersued... I get what you're saying. That yeah, vibe. Yeah. Countersued Gabe and his wife... And the COO, Scott Lynch, and his wife, saying that Valve wasn't working hard enough on Half-Life 2. Are you fucking And apparently me? that Valve was even holding up the development as hostage to have a little bit of leverage in the Counter-Strike case. And they were also suing because they thought that Steam would completely undermine their ability to sell Valve's games. That's funny. And this is Valve before the, uh, using Steam. the project could speak for its fucking self. Man. Yeah. <laughs> So this giant battle was weighing on Gabe and costing millions of dollars in legal fees and happening all in the background. Even Vivendi had threatened to hold up production once the game went gold for up to six months themselves. Six months? Yeah. 
There was a lot of pressure going on at this time. All of this, the team was... You had the hack, you had the release date, you had now Vivendi, you had a year or two worth of crunch. Jesus. All this was like really heavily weighing on the team, and they were like, Ugh. but they were still just pushing forward, working on this game. Yeah, when you think about it, it's glad it came out at all. It's rare nowadays that we get to introduce a new shitty company, but welcome everybody to the shittiness that is Vivendi Universal. <laughs> yeah. Because they are a garbage company as well. Yeah. They don't exist anymore. Yeah. No, They're yeah. now known as Activision Blizzard because <laughs> Vivendi merged with Activision. That was uh, some years That all back, got swept right? up yeah. in that deal. Yeah. Yep. So production moved on through September, and now things were really, really winding down. The last couple of bugs were being mopped up, and everybody was kind of becoming part of that, what do they call it, no or something, a no club? I can't remember. Shit. Basically, it's just like, if your bugs are all cleaned up, you kind of join the club of the people who are finished and don't really have much else to work on. By the way, I just thought I would point out that it was 2008 that they were merged with Activision to create Activision Blizzard. Yeah. On October 13th, the email was sent. After five years of development, Half-Life 2 is completed. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> on the morning of the 14th, the team was now emailing and harassing Newell all day to whack the pinata. See, <laughs> as you remember from our first episode, yes! in Half Life 1, there was a headcrab pinata that they beat up at the end of this. Well, in this, hanging in the lobby for months, there was a City 17 Combine scanner drone pinata <laughs> that had been hanging in the lobby. Oh, just, uh, just thank Christ for these pictures. Like, yeah, they, they were supposed to, <laughs> they were supposed to hit the pinata at dinner that night, but. After a bunch of harassing, apparently at noon, Gabe sent down an email saying, meet me in the lobby in 15 minutes. <laughs> he shows up, he destroys the scanner pinata, and it signals the end of development. And by the way, that picture that I talked about with the fucking quick zoom being hit that we talked about in Half-Life 1 that we used for our thumbnail, I found another picture <laughs> of Gabe. It looks almost exactly the same really from a different does. perspective. You know, you know how hard it is emotion. to Photoshop blurry pictures, you motherfucker? Oh, I know. I know. I'm so sorry. Get um, on it again. Um, hold on real quick. Just want to get into it. Vivendi was not purchased by Activision Blizzard. They purchased Activision Blizzard. They purchased Activision, yeah. Really? Activision yeah. Was and then down they the sold their, tubes. They sold their stake in Activision Blizzard in like 2015, 2016. Wow, that's They're late. They're still a company. They're French. They were the ones that were trying to overtake oh, you, Ubisoft. Oh, uh, Ubisoft. Yeah. yeah, okay. I yeah. remember that. And they that was a couple years ago. They were unsuccessful. But they still exist. They're a French company that owns a lot of shit. Yeah, they're a conglomerate. Yes. Yeah, that's the reason they were... Sure. Exactly, that's what I was going to say. The reason they purchased up Activision, not the other way around, is because VU was actually part of like a bigger tech conglomerate in general. Yes. They had takes in a lot of shit. Yeah. yeah, when they originally bought Sierra Online, they were just attaching it to their games division. They were just a tech company in general. Yes. Which is why they have such like there's such and a And when I house. say they're shitty, they tried to acquire Ubisoft, but it wasn't like, hey, we'll pay you this much to acquire your company. They tried to do it by buying a majority of the shares like they did with Activision and uh-huh. then overtaking like, uh, the a CEO. Literally a hostile takeover. Yeah, That's hostile shitty. takeover. Shitty, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's uh-huh. what I mean. Vivendi sucks. Yeah. They do. That's why they were trying to sue fucking people's wives yep. to get fucking, Jeez. you know, a leg up. So, it was done. But the cost on the team was heavy. All that stuff we talked about, was it took its toll. But that doesn't mean they weren't genuinely proud. 
and a lot of them believed that this game was far better than the original, and that they had absolutely done what they set out to do. I'm sure some of them even thought it was worth it, and I'm sure retrospectively a lot more of them do than they did at the time. Half-Life 2 releases, and it's Half-Life 2. <laughs> it is one of the most incredibly high-rated and successful first-person shooters of all time. It yeah. definitely blows Half-Life 1 out of the water. It is objectively and mechanically a better game in every way. Yes. It's one of the best fucking first-person shooter stories, narratives I've ever played in my life. And you revisit it now. It's still like, yeah, like it oh, yeah. fucking and, holds and up. Doing all this makes me want to. It's been so <laughs> long since I've played them that like I really want to fucking get into them. I I remember playing this game when it came out and in the very beginning you take this train ride it's epic through this city and you're in like a room with a bunch of these people the idea behind the game is that you're like kind of working with these resistance people that are fighting back against an oppressive alien invader there's a scene where these they call them the combine bust into your fucking room it's like they're metro soldiers it's, yeah it's like a raid exactly they rate yeah. i have never experienced this in the same way you have to run you run from them you don't have a gun you don't have anything you're just literally just escaping at this point dude when they come up the stairs and they turn the batons on they're like chasing after you yes yeah, yeah it's so good when i was a fucking teenager <laughs> i guess 2004 I might have just been a teenager. I'm not, I'm not sure. I remember playing this and just being absolutely fucking blown away. Yeah. I remember my heart. I've talked about this for years. My heart literally pumping like I'm being fucking chased. Like they pop the batons, they chase you through the door. Oh, come this way, man. You hop yeah. out like a window and you're on a scaffolding. And I remember being like, holy fuck, what if they catch me? Are they going to like yeah. kill me? Like I'm fucking scared. Like I felt the real fucking feeling of that. Yeah. yeah. And that sticks through the whole game. It keeps yeah. going. You feel these intense emotions. You connect to the fucking characters. I want fucking Alex and her robot dog to fucking live forever. <laughs> the game propels you from the like the beginning. Like it's just it the game never does. loses that momentum. Yeah. Not to mention it's not just an action first person shooter. There's a random level in there that's fucking horror. Oh, like the Raven fucking Home. Yeah. Yes, the Ravenholm level. You come out of the sewer and you're entering this welcome to Ravenholm, like this fucking intensely dark, puzzling we don't part of the game. We don't just, like, go to the, the, cre the creatures yeah. that scream and you see them like silhouetted in like the moonlight yes. running so, along the rooftops. It's holy shit. With every gaming franchise that actually matters, we covered in another episode about how I play everything because I'm an idiot. With every <laughs> gaming franchise that matters, I play them way too late. If they came out pre-2006 and aren't named Halo. Um, <laughs> so just like with Resident Evil and Metal Gear Solid, Randy wouldn't shut the fuck up about Half-Life. Uh, so eventually I played it, and I think that was 2015, 2016. Oh, that's late, I played huh? through them. You didn't get into it on Orange Box or anything? Or? No, okay. I only played Portal on the Orange Box. <laughs> You made me. I did. And you're an asshole. <laughs> I regret because nothing. Because now, it, oh, first yeah. of all... <laughs> now you're in it, too. Yeah. <laughs> first of all, it still holds up. Yeah. Over 10 years later, Absolutely. it is still one of the best first-person shooters ever made. And now I understand with the rest of us. <laughs> why everybody's so angry. Because the story, even up to episode two, is so good. Yeah. And it ends on such a cliffhanger. Yeah. And now I'm just as mad as everybody else. <laughs> What about well, you, Rand? Welcome what was to your, it. Obviously, you're passionate about it. What I do you am. Any 
anecdotes or stories about? <laughs> so I'm embarrassed to say that at this game's launch, which I, I think was around, this is November of 04. Yes. I did not yes, sorry, have, I didn't mention uh, that. It eventually releases in November. Yeah, I did not have a PC capable of running it at the time. But I was lucky Not enough did. to have a friend named Matt, brother of former guest Chris. November 16th. <laughs> who will, uh, November 16th? Okay. Matt will probably inevitably be on here at some point. Not over my dead body. You hear that, Matt? You hear um, that? <laughs> they had a family computer, and I came over and saw that game, and we played through the first several hours and could not stop. And I was chomping at the bit to see more and to upgrade our PC at the time, but it actually wasn't until 2005. Are you talking about the Xbox version? No, because that was the funny thing. It was like, at the time, the Xbox version was not yet announced, which I would have had access to. Uh But instead, I had to uh, pressure my mom into upgrading our family PC so that I could play like Fear and Battlefield 2 and Half-Life 2 for the first time. So I did eventually get to experience that through and through on PC, and it was obviously still very much mind-blowing in 05. Yeah. And then I think the Xbox version came a little later, which I replayed. It was not as good as the PC version. They did everything they could no. to port that at the time. And then I played through it, I think, again when it came to Orange Box, which I played on 360, and then I revisited it last year on PC again. Because nice. Orange Box, I don't think... That was the first time I played Episode 1 and Episode 2. Or no, I might have yes. played Episode 1 on PC prior, but I know Episode 2 launched with it. But I was a huge Half-Life 2 fan. <laughs> I'm still waiting. Orange Box release was the, the last time story. I played. Yeah, that was 07. Yeah, yeah 2007. Yeah, but but yeah. no, I, I loved Half-Life 2. And seeing the way that that game, it, it's almost hard to put into words that there are a few games in our lifetime that you see that kind of changes the way that you look at games, like that games are capable yeah. of this. And it did that for a lot of people and for the industry. I think for narrative first-person shooters, it became a benchmark that very few have ever gotten over. Absolutely. It's one of my favorite games, one of my favorite series of all time, and it's worthy of every accolade it's ever received. It's killing me right now that I have no way of playing Alex. Yep, same. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. I've watched so much about it. It looks I so fucking cool. I thought about when the world recovers... Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll uh, save up. You build a VR PC? <laughs> I have a VR PC. I just need a, VR, I need a headset. Yeah, I might invest in. I'll a, go in on that. Yeah, I, would I might. I might be stupid enough to, to drill holes in your wall and to get the the <laughs> Valve Index, but we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. So two years later, after its release, Half Life Two Episode One came out. They decided to shift the game to a more episodic yeah, feel. Yeah, we, after we see that. how that worked out. Oh, by the way, one quick thing I want to mention about Half Life Two. I'm sorry. No, is ahead. that to my memory, not not that this is the best precedent in the world, but I don't know why this sticks with me so hard. That was the first game I think I ever remember spending sixty dollars for. Because <laughs> video games were they didn't have a forty sta- and then fifty. Well, they didn't have standardized pricing in like the nineties. Because there were, like, Genesis and N64 games that exceeded the $50 price tag. But for that generation and, like, most of the generation prior, $49.99 was your MSRP for everything. And seeing that that game was $60 was, like, another hurdle I had to jump through as a -hmm. a young kid who didn't have the wallet for it. But I looked at that box for months until, uh, you know, the opened it up seeing, like, and now every game is $60. And then I bought it on a Steam sale. For two dollars, <laughs> two dollars. Yeah, I'm yeah. surprised that game isn't like free now. How much yeah. does Half Life Two cost on Steam right now? Just by itself, uh, that base game, I'm probably like ten. Bucks. I would, I would turn on my Steam, but then I have to upload Counter Strike before I could fucking get to anything. <laughs> 
<laughs> Sorry, Chris, continue. I'm going to look this up because I'm very curious. In 2007, they released something called the Orange Box, which yes. is probably one of the greatest fucking collections, like ever, compilation yeah. collections yeah. of ever. It contains Half Life Two, Half Life Two Episode One. It's the release of Half Life Two Episode Two. It also contains Team Fortress Two, and probably one of the greatest puzzle games ever made, Portal, yes. which led to a 2011 sequel, the greatest puzzle game ever made. Absolutely. Portal 2. Oh my god. So every everything I just said about Half-Life 2 just like times that by like an infinite like Portal 2 is genuinely one of my favorite games ever made. I think Absolutely, it is. Absolutely, me too. It, it's, it, it is. It, yeah, it's one of the best written like it, it's Portal I, 2? Yes. Top 5. Yeah. Easily. Top 5. Yeah, no doubt. And I just played through that a couple months ago. Me too. It's yeah. I played through that shit. about 2 or 3 months ago, yeah. I can't fucking believe how still like engaging and funny that writing is. Like it's so hard Absolutely. to make people it's laugh so in the format of games and it's still like incredible. Like, to this day, I always yeah. talk about my favorite portal quote where it's like, when you get down to the basement and it's like Cave Johnson is like, if you're here to participate in the test of what it's like to splice human DNA with insect DNA, yeah. that <laughs> test is no longer happening. However, if you want to get into this other line and grab a gun, we're now doing a test on killing mutant mantis men. <laughs> and it's just like, <laughs> J.K. Simmons, man, just killing right. it. It's same yeah. Stephen Merchant as well. So, like, update. it's just Half Life Two is ten dollars on Steam. Episode yes, one nice. and two are both eight dollars. The Orange Box still being sold twenty dollars. Half Life One six dollars, but it's on sale. Oh no, that's the bundle. It's six dollars, okay. and then the Half Life bundle I talked about nine dollars. I think, I think Black Mesa is 20, right? The, the Black fan Mesa is 20. Imagining. If anybody wants Half-Life 1, tweet at Hot Button and I'll send you a CD key. <laughs> There's also uh, Half-Life Source, which is Half-Life yes. Rebuilt in the Source engine. Yeah. And not to yep. underestimate some of the... Everything in Portal 2 fires on all cylinders. Just the, oh, absolutely. the music it, it, and the, the design. Yeah. The last game Valve Jonathan made. Colton. Wheatley might be one of the best game characters. Stephen oh, Burton's Steve performance is... Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. That might be one of the best. In, in the medium. Obviously, Valve goes on to make a bunch of other games besides Portal 2 in the later 2000s. They make Left 4 Dead and Left yes. 4 Dead 2, which are also yeah. two absolutely fucking important games to me and my younger oh, yeah. self by, and gaming with friends. As we said, that game reinvented like, co-op, like what we see yes. like as cooperative PvE absolutely. games. Yeah. As Austin said, made by Turtle Rock, previous creators of the ports of Counter-Strike to Xbox. Now, I would like to talk a little bit about one of the most infamous things since we're wrapping up Half-Life in this part. <laughs> yeah. Half-Life 3 or Half-Life 2 Episode 3, whichever one. Yeah, take it as oh, you will. <laughs> oh, hold on, real quick. want to say, Left 4 Dead, also made by Certain Affinity, to the studio behind such hits as Halo 2 and Halo 3's multiplayer. So Really? Oh, no shit. I didn't Which know we that. may get into Certain Affinity if I ever do a Halo 2 episode. Okay. Yeah. Hell yeah. Well, the behind the map design, I should say. Bungie still did the combat. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Good maps. Well, the map design made that shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the reason I want to just touch on Half-Life 3 or Half-Life 2 Episode 3 for a second is because... Dude, Half-Life 2 Episode 3 is coming out in 2008. Can't wait. It's, be <laughs> it's because it was, like, hinted at that it would come out in succession with 2, you know, and the 1, 2, three years following and obviously it's 2020 
and we just get a prequel spinoff VR game instead. <laughs> I just think that what we listened to in this episode about what happened with the dates, think about this. The immense pressure that was put on the team to put out Half-Life 2. The pressure to top Half-Life 1 and what it did to those people to try and top Half-Life 1. The pressure of setting a release date and missing it and disappointing your fans. The pressure of being Gabe trying to disappoint your fans. All of these things are the reason there is no fucking Half-Life 3. Yeah, That yeah. game probably started development, probably just online. There were probably some speed bumps, and they were like, we can never disappoint people if we yeah. don't ever fucking make it. And I absolutely think that Half-Life 3 will never come out. And I think that Half-Life 2 Episode 3, if that's the sequel instead, will never come out. There has to be some sort of world-changing breakthrough in technology for them to want to do it. Like, they've stated oh, yeah, before like something that like, um, they're not I don't comfortable know, VR? Doing- <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's, that's as close own- as we'll get. Yeah. But- yes, Valve has invested an incredible amount of money in the technology of VR in the last decade because, yeah. I'm telling you this right now, Valve will be the company that makes the fucking dot hack sword art online vr game that traps everybody inside they were the true makers of the thing from ready player one is that- they are they're on yeah. the fucking bleeding edge of it i remember reading an article last year about how valve was investing in technology that was trying to build bridges between the biochemical reactions of the brain and the eyes so they were like <laughs> investing shit. in companies to try and like literally build that actual vr true vr yeah they will be the ones i'm fucking calling it (laughs) yeah Um, if it's anyone it will be but the truth is that's when half-life 3 will be made when there is another groundbreaking technology and we won't see it anytime soon and so you know yeah. How into the joke of not having three do you think they are? Do you think it's on purpose or do you think it's some this, wild coincidence? This many years later? Let's think about it. Left 4 Dead, no three. Portal, no three. Team Fortress. The only game that's had more than three is Counter-Strike, but they never yeah, made a Counter-Strike Yeah, they never, convention they never put numbers, yeah. 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 Probably they're smart. Portal <laughs> 3, how would you ever fucking outdo yourself? Left 4 Dead 3, obviously defunct companies, you can't make that happen. Half-Life, like I said, I think it's just a matter of not wanting to disappoint people. I don't give a shit about Team Fortress, but there was a lot of issues around Team Fortress because it was also delayed. Team Fortress 3 is just kind of like Overwatch. Overwatch. Yeah. Pointless. Yeah, I was going to say Overwatch. <laughs> if we haven't mentioned it before, there were very like finite plans at one point for Portal and Half-Life to sort of yes, really you, intertwine. Because if you're, the, very, if you're very interested... Portal is in the Half-Life universe. Mark Laidlaw. Yes. Mark Laidlaw did Lefferd post his proposed story for yes, Half-Life. 3. I was going to go bring online that up. and read that, and it's really good. Yeah. It's just if very anybody good, should yeah. read it, it's fucking cool. It's they, a great yeah. finishing up for yes. the story. I was really curious is. if you guys read it. They did. did uh, yeah. They did change the names for uh-huh. obvious reasons. They, I think, they gender swapped the characters yep. as well. But if you are familiar with that storyline, it is a very engaging read that mm-hmm. could have potentially amounted to a, an extremely interesting bookend to that. Yeah, yeah. Like we'd mentioned the Borealis earlier. That ship is in. Yes, you find yeah. the dry dock for the Borealis in Portal 2. Yeah. Which is funny because technically, I think Portal 2 takes place like years and years after where. It takes like millions like of years yeah. in the future. It's like yeah. an uninhabited Earth. Yeah. God, just the art design of the. Because when you wake up in Portal 2, it's like you've been asleep for nine, yeah. nine, yeah. nine, 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 nine. Like the, the sterile look of Portal 1, like intentionally, like, you know, of this lab yeah. and then it being overgrown into this sort of like the use that so well. Oh, so the first scene is fucking falling apart. It's incredible. (laughs) But there's your legacy of Half-Life and there's your legacy of Valve. And there is 
a lot more to come with Valve, obviously. We're going through their history. We have the Steam Machine. We have Artifact. I we have, have all the relationship <laughs> with their indie developers. Wait, what's that? Uh, the Steam oh, yeah. Machine. Oh, yeah. Steam Machine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess um, we can talk about the controllers If you want to be specific, that. I have the Alienware Alpha, which was their Windows, Windows dual boot. Yeah. Yeah, you got Steam yeah. OS. You got the controller. You don't have, have Steam OS. <laughs> yeah. Do- Honestly, I made the better decision there. Uh, Dota 2. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, which I played and I just don't like. Can... Nope. No, that's it, that is kind of in a different wheelhouse uh, um, for me. So but. there's more to come, and we can get all into that in Valve History Part Three. Yes, yep. especially with Half Life Three because that's the you know absolutely. Yep. <laughs> there's an endless amount of questions. Yep. Around that one, do you think that Half Life Three is the biggest example of vaporware as a concept on the planet? I don't think so because <laughs> like, it's never been demoed. <laughs> yeah. Has there's never been anything right. for it, yeah. Yeah. which is maybe that's smart on their part. Speaking of vaporware, yes. we got a vaporware episode coming up soon. Oh, I thought you were hitting your jewel or something. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> no, that would have been a pretty good. Uh... Speaking of vaporware, <laughs> Jason, please don't kill me. I faked mine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Another vaporware well, episode it. coming up soon. Yeah, we'll get into the future of Valve next time. Yep, and be a little more yeah. up to date with the Valve everyone knows now and future. Yep that that'll be I love coming their in. Games. That'll be coming in part three. Me too. They're an they easy. They don't make games anymore. <laughs> they though. don't. Yeah. I mean, it's it's they're an, an easy company to make fun of now, but it's also hard to forget oh. what they yes what absolutely they used to be. yeah. Well, all right. That's it for me. Awesome. Yeah. Take us home. Do what All you right. do. Plug time. Uh, if you like this episode and you want to hear more, we got a website, hotbuttoncast.com. There mm-hmm. you can find all 60-some-odd of our episodes. You can find live episodes we did. Think back to a time where more than 10 people could be in a room together and <laughs> laugh and enjoy themselves. <laughs> Make me sad. <laughs> you can remember when friends could hug each other <laughs> No, I'm sad. Okay. You can also find links to all our feeds. iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, other stuff like that. YouTube, we got our episodes on there. Leave a review on iTunes. Yes, Yes, leave a review on iTunes. Especially for this episode, keep an eye out on our socials, which there's links to Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at HotButtonCast. We'll figure out exact plans, but... If you're listening to this episode, go back and look at those feeds because I'm sure we'll link somewhere to that Eurogamer article Chris was talking about in yeah, there. Yeah, we can yeah. post it either the day after or For like sure. an hour or two after. You we can post take a it. look at whatever clip from this episode we decide to share on <laughs> release day so you can see my, I'm sure, brilliant Photoshop of Gabe Newell hitting okay. another pinata. <laughs> It always is. <laughs> yep. And yeah, I yeah. think that's it. Go uh, play some Valve games, listen to yeah. our shit while you're playing. I thought yeah. about... Yeah. Absolutely. Even that fucking co-op campaign in Portal 2 is real dope. It's like a whole separate I thing. I thought oh, about so much yeah, for great. a video thing. I might buy Black Mesa and, ah. and play some of it. Okay. And edit it donkey style. <laughs> See if I can do that. We could do like a Discord thing and we could stream it or I don't know. Just thinking of quarantine like content for us to do. Do you guys remember some of the... We talked a bit on this episode about the fan culture and love around this series. And did any of you ever see, like, there was a thing on YouTube for a while, before even Let's Plays were as prominent now as than they used to be, but there was like a Thoughts of Freeman thing. And it was just kind of like someone narrating the inner monologue of the silent protagonist throughout no, I never life. saw that. And then there was a comic that I used to read in high school that was made in Gary's Mod, which we didn't touch too hard on, but it's kind of like an open 
open source sort of a way to play around with assets from people made full games in it and stuff called uh this was called uh, oh, yeah. concerned and it was like the perspective of a random citizen in city 17 and uh, uh, just... i mean you want to i plan in a supplemental episode to this i have a plan to do a valve modding episode because yeah i mean we talked about you know portal and all that like portal was a mod yeah. before uh, it was a game drop, yeah. Narbacular yeah. drop yeah counter-strike was a mod of course yeah. day of defeat was a mod <laughs> team fortress was a mod like yeah. valve has a very deep history with modding and oh, maybe in a future episode we'll uh, yeah. we'll get further into the modding <laughs> scene of valve but yeah come back but, in um, two weeks if you want to hear us talk about uh what Valve's up to lately. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Artifact. Keep, keep, keep an eye on our feeds for, yeah. for part three. Also, <laughs> spread the word. If you like the show, tell your friends. Get them to listen mm-hmm. to it. It's yeah, quarantine. Everybody's Arm listening to podcasts. Yeah. Everybody's listening to podcasts. Everybody's listening to music. Just, you know, if you like the show, fucking tweet a friend. You know, tweet about it. Tell a friend. Pretend yell like about you're really it. living in season yeah, 17. Scream it out your window. I'll parrot Do whatever the, you can. I'll parrot the same thing. You know, hit us up if you want. Yeah. Do we have DMs open? I've been telling people to DM. Twitter? I don't know how Twitter works. I'm old. <laughs> I gotta check into that. You know, I don't mention this enough, but if you do listen and there's a story you'd like us to cover, we do have a submit a topic yes. link on our website yeah. too. I love yeah. it. And this is the first episode I've drank in a while. I felt like I got progressively drunker towards the episodes, and I hope that didn't come through too much. <laughs> Welcome to my life. <laughs> that, That's that, just quarantine, baby. That, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I gotta find that on top right... of that, I usually write scripts, and I did half this episode as bullet points, so I'm sure at halfway through, I get drunk, and it turns to bullet points, and it just sounds like I'm saying fuck a lot. No, and I, I couldn't <laughs> tell, honestly. I mean, the episode I did previously was like, I have to find the right balance between alcohol and dyslexia. (laughs) (laughs) And my diabetic ass drank a regular Coke, so I'm hopped up on sugar like a kid at Halloween. Moron. Yeah. All right. Let's get out of here. Yeah. Let's go home. All right. Wait. Uh, We're all trapped. (laughs) Yeah. Let's go home where we all already are. All right. (laughs) Yep. Stay tuned for Valve Part 3. Yep. See you all What do we usually say at the end? Skeet? Skeet? Is that what we say? (laughs) Yeah. You know, that old hot button ending. (laughs) Skeet, skeet, motherfuckers. Skeet, skeet, goddamn. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) 